0: It's Sunday morning, and we are studying a myriad of, whatever myriad means, uh, myrios is a Greek word, means a great number. We're studying a myrios, a myriad of, another word for a thousand, uh, of subjects. We're talking about Israel as a nation, and we're talking particularly right now about Saul and David. Saul. And David, you really need to understand I have given you I have given you a timeline on the board, and you need to understand the timeline of the Bible. You need to know where things are you've got you start with Adam and Eve, or you actually start with the creation. And there's so much I can say about Genesis, the first chapter, and Genesis, the second chapter, and Genesis, the third chapter. But God creates Adam and Eve in Genesis, the second chapter, gives them the commandment there in the second chapter, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then they eat of the tree in Genesis, the third chapter. Genesis, the fourth chapter, you end up with... Uh, Cain and Abel Cain and Abel and then the fifth chapter you've got the lineage of God from Adam all the way down to Noah and this is God's righteous lineage and each one of these sons there in that lineage they've all got many sons but the ones that they have that are branching off of this lineage that starts with Adam and then Seth and then enosh and then uh canon and mahalil and all the way down through jared and enoch and methuselah and that'll take you on down to lamech and and uh, noah and and noah's son uh shem and then you, that takes you all the way down to uh all the way down to the flood time of the flood six flood Flood. Six through eight is the flood. Then they come out of the ark. the land in chapter nine on the mountain of Ararat. Mount Ararat. A R R A R A R A T. And the Ararat mountains were in eastern Turkey. They were, let me see here if I've got a good map here. The mountains of Ararat were over here in eastern Turkey. It was a chain of mountains a lot of times it'll say mount and it's a chain and that's where they landed and then in the 10th chapter they come out of the ark the ark lands there in chapter 9 they come out of the ark and this chapter 10 is called the table of nations and you can't hardly find that map I've got it in one of my old books and This is where Shem, Ham, and Japheth migrated to. And Abraham migrated, Abraham, Shem migrated down, when he comes out of the ark, he migrates down here to the Babylonian area. That's why he has to be called out of Ur, of the Chaldees. We don't know exactly where he was, Ur. Chaldean, anytime you see Chaldean, that is Babylonian, Babylon. And the Chaldeans were, that were the Babylonian magicians. And Chaldean was another name for Babylon. And they came down, uh, Shem comes down to here. From Shem we get Semitic. Well, that's why the Lord Tells Abraham in the twelfth chapter, chapter twelve. He says, Abraham is born in the eleventh chapter, and he tells him to get thee up out of thy country and from thy kindred to a land that I will show you, and he has to go this direction right here. God leads him, and Abraham walked, not knowing where he was going. You'll see that in the eleventh chapter of Hebrews. So he walks up here, comes down, comes down and caps at Beersheba in southern. Israel. Anytime you see describing the area of some place in Israel, it'll say from Dan to Beersheba. At the biblical time, during the biblical days, Dan was the furthest area of Israel, Beersheba was the most southern area. Of Israel, the most southern town at that time. So he comes down here, ends up back here. Then you have the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they were descendants of this Semitic line here. If you follow that all the way through, you start in chapter 5. In chapter 11, it'll take you with Arphaxed and take you all the way down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the way it works. If you can learn this this timeline, it'll teach you the Bible then you then of course, we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob we see Abraham in that thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth chapters and sixteenth chapter and sixteenth chapters where he says. Where God says Abraham, you're going to have a son, and it won't be this Eliezer, this Syrian in your household. It'll come out from your own bowels. And Abraham says, "Okay," but he's he's right at uh, he's when he has when he has Isaac, he is a hundred years old, and Isaac was thirteen years younger than Ishmael. So Ishmael was the one he went in with Hagar and she she bears his son and calls his name Ishmael. But that's not who the covenant is established with. It's established with Isaac. And then we see that God gives Abraham the covenant in 17. The covenant. And then in 18 we see we see Abraham meeting Jesus, our pre-incarnate, before he was born. When three men walk up to Abraham and he feeds them. And then 19, we get into Sodom and Gomorrah. More. And then you're getting on into Isaac and Jacob area. We see in the 22nd chapter, the Lord tells Abraham, go offer your son your, excuse me, I'll get to right in a minute, in the 22nd chapter is where that the Lord sends, or Abraham sends his servant Eliezer over here. I've got it backwards again. Excuse me. Get these two mixed up sometimes. He says in the 22nd chapter, go offer your son, your your one and only son. God didn't even recognize Ishmael. He didn't even recognize Ishmael as a son. He said, "Off your one and only son. Then in 24, uh, of course, God supplies a sacrifice instead of Isaac and stops Abraham from killing him. 24, he says, go over here. They're over here in Israel. And, and uh, Isaac tells his servant, go over here to the land of Haran. We don't know exactly where all this is Haran in here. On that Euphrates river area, why don't they walk through this area here? That's all desert. You can't travel through that every time the Bible would say that Babylon came in from the north and but it will turn around and say Babylon was in the east. Well, it was in the east of from Israel, but they always had to come in and come in from the north because of all this desert here. So North and east are very important to understand. Uh, see right here is Ur it shows Ur but we don't know if the map makers knows that's Ur if it is that's down deep into Babylon and Abraham would have been walking about 650 miles 700 miles just to get over there to Israel then he gives his covenant here in seventeen, eighteen. he meets Jesus when Jesus said before he says, Abraham rejoiced to see him by day, and he saw it. That's in that first and second verse of the 18th chapter. And he says that in John, the 8th chapter. He rejoiced to see him by day, and he saw it. And then we get into Sodom and Gomorrah here, and Lot, Abraham's nephew's in Sodom. And he comes out, and and that's where his wife looks back. And she's turned to a pillar of salt. It don't mean she turned into a... To turn to a pillar of salt. To turn to salt was an old ancient idiom that meant to die. She died. And she may have been turned to salt. But here's the thing. They were down here in just south. They were in Edom. Edom is the descendants of Esau. They were south of the Dead Sea. And that's where all the salt pits were all around it if God had have caused those salt pits to erupt and start spraying salt, salt may have come down, up, may have come down upon her and killed her that way. It don't mean she went like you see in movies, you know what I'm saying? She's walking along and all of a sudden it means she died. You have to know what these sayings meant. And then 24th chapter, that's where uh, where Eliezer goes over to goes over to Babylon or Haran when you see Babylon or Haran Haran is the same thing as Babylon that's also the same thing as Iraq Iraq this is Iraq right here and back over here Media Persia is what we call Iran right over here now all right, 24th chapter he goes over there And secures Rebecca. And she's feeding the camels. And watering the camels there. And he said the one that's watering the camels. Bring her back. We get into that. 26th chapter. And that's where Jacob and Esau are born. Jacob. And Esau. And when they're born. uh, All of a sudden. Jacob starts in on his little tricks. He lies to his father. And In the end of the 26th chapter, he tells Esau, you've just come in from a hunting trip and you're hungry and I know you look like you've been sweating all day and I'll give you this pot of lentils for your birthright. Jacob starts his life off tripping up his brother. Jacob, Ya'chob, means heel catcher. A one who trips up other people. That's more, that name applied to him forevermore. And uh, he's tripping up his brother. And then in the 27th chapter, he goes into his father, puts all this hair on his arms. And uh, like his mother said, go in there and get the blessing from your father. And he goes in there and lies again. Jacob was just an out and out liar. People get mad at me for saying that. God loved Jacob and hated Esau. It doesn't show us a lot about how evil Esau was, but he was evil. It shows us a lot about how evil Jacob was. And God uh, uh and Jacob starts lying to his father. He goes in and says, "Is it he said it smells like Esau, but it's Jacob's voice." You think his father was fooled? There's no way you could fool him. He couldn't change his voice. And he, and he said, is it my son Esau? He said, yes, father. This is Jacob talking. I am Esau, your firstborn. What a liar. To steal the birthright. If you get the official right hand upon his head, then it could never be withdrawn. And he got it, deceived. And then he knew his brother was out to get him. So he takes off running. And Jacob leaves town down here. Down here in Beersheba. And takes running. Goes over here to his family, his father's family, and he runs into Laban, his mother's brother, and he. What he decides, he wants to uh, uh, marry his daughter Rachel. He sees her at a dog distance. He says, "Boy, she is hot. She's a fox. I love her. I want her." So he makes this deal with his father-in-law, would be, would, will be father-in-law for Rachel he said you got to work seven years for he said work seven years and he says it's time for me to collect my wife and so he sends in what Jacob thinks is Rachel and the next morning he wakes up and he's had 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 a night with his bride but it's Leah goes Jacob's getting a taste of his own medicine he lies so much and then he stays over there for 20 years heads back to go back to israel in that 30th to 32nd chapter has his encounter with the angel i forgot to tell you that the covenant was passed to jacob in the 28th chapter that's when he's running for his life to go up here to the land of haran god says the covenant will be with you isn't that crazy he lies to steal the birthright, and then God says, I'm giving you the covenant, Jacob. He takes off to Haran. After staying there for 20 years, he comes back, and on the way back, he has his encounter. In the 28th chapter, that's where he sees this ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending. That's in the 28th chapter. Then in the 32nd chapter, he's coming back from Haran after 20 years. And he's got two wives, Rachel and Leah, and he's got eleven sons coming back. He doesn't he doesn't have his twelfth son, which would be who? Benjamin. Doesn't have Benjamin till they get back to Bethlehem. That's amazing he's born in Bethlehem. And when he dies, Jacob's beloved Rachel dies in childbirth. His heart is broken then, of course, then, of course you- you know the story He comes back and runs into runs into his brother, and he said, "I am afraid to go back there uh, He was scared out of his mind, so he puts all these cattle and goats ahead of him, and then he has Bill Zilpah. The two handmaids that had sons by him, and then has a gift going before them, and then he has Leah with a gift with her, then him and Rachel are bringing up the rear because he is terrified. he is scared to death to go and see his brother Isaac I mean excuse me, Esau, he's terrified. And when he finally meets him, he runs and kneels down to Esau and says, Oh, my Lord, uh, these are for you. He says, Esau says, What is all these cattle? He said, They're for you. He said, Brother, I have plenty. Well, you talk about grace. Esau wasn't vengeful. He wasn't trying to get Jacob back. He said, I got plenty. Brother, come here and hug me. And he hugged him. And there was forgiveness. Then we get into the story of joseph joseph is put in charge in the 37th chapter 37 he's put in charge of everything to everything he's 17 years old the bible says so it's about verse 4 or 5 there he's put in charge of everything and his father loves him more than all the other sons put together he loves joseph and then they his brothers sell him into bondage over into egypt He goes through this adventure he gets into the house of potiphar and potiphar's wife tries to seduce joseph because he's good looking and she's beautiful she tries to seduce him he just will not be seduced he said i cannot do this and sin against god so he's put in prison and then he interprets the dream of the baker and the butler of the of the pharaoh and when he's interprets their dreams the baker is taken out and hanged and the butler is put back in charge and joseph says don't forget me and he does but he needed to forget him because it had to be at the exact time when he comes out of when pharaoh is having his dreams having his two dreams if you can get a hold of genesis you can get do you realize there's two thousand years in genesis and there are Around seventeen hundred years in the rest of the Old Testament, I say that's kind of hard to comprehend, isn't it? If you can get hold of Genesis, you can know what's going on. Then he's in the house of Pharaoh. He ends up interpreting the Pharaoh's dream and telling him there's going to be seven good years, seven bad years, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and his brothers come over. And they don't even know that that's Joseph. He's talking to them through an interpreter. It's like the Holy Spirit speaking to us in the place of Jesus. So his brothers come over to get grain, and you know the story. I'm not going to go through all the details of it. Finally, he reveals himself to his brothers. They don't even know it's him. He calls them in and says, I am Joseph, your brother. And they're going, ah. They cannot speak. So they end up going over there to Egypt. He brings all of the household of Jacob over there. It's amazing there's 70 in the household of Jacob. How's that for a perfect number that come to Egypt and live? Then we see Joseph, we see Jacob dying there in the 49th chapter. Jacob dies, brings his sons around, 49. 48, he passes the... He passes the uh, he passes the uh, inheritance to Joseph through his second-born son Ephraim. In the forty-eighth chapter, when he crosses his hands and puts his right hand upon Ephraim's head, forty-ninth chapter, he calls his sons around, says it's time to die for me to die, and he places blessings and curses upon all of his sons. Then he dies at the end of the 49th chapter. The 50th chapter, that's the end of Genesis. And in the 50th chapter, Joseph's brothers come to him and say, Our father told you to take care of us and not hurt us. (laughs) And they're lying. There's a lot of lies in the Bible by the liars. It's just amazing to me how everybody would lie to to save themselves. And that's what they were doing. Joseph said what am I in the place of God I'm not going to hurt you I kept telling you you didn't send me here it was God that sent me before you to preserve life I've already told you that then it comes time for Joseph to die and we do not know we do not know at the end of Genesis 50 last chapter of Genesis joseph dies then you've got 400 years we don't know how long he was there before we know that in exodus the first chapter that's where they're put into bondage not the end of genesis in exodus the first chapter a new king rises up a new pharaoh rises up that doesn't know joseph it doesn't mean he had never heard of him. He doesn't know him personally as the man who saved Egypt. So he gives this edict, kill all the male childs. They're multiplying at breakneck speed, and we can't handle these Jews taking over. And, of course, you know the story. The women would come to Pharaoh, the midwives, and they'd say, our wives, the women are lively and they give birth real quick and it's before we get a chance to kill them, all the babies. They were lying to the Pharaoh. There are some of them, there's some more lies. And that's good lies. And then, of course, we know the story about, about uh, I'm not going to go through all the details of it. I want you to know the details of Genesis. You need to get that down. If you can get that down, you get a whole lot of what the Bible is about. Now, Joseph dies, 400 years of bondage. The bondage starts in Exodus, the first chapter. Moses is put in the bulrushes, Exodus 2. He's born and put in the bulrushes, Exodus 2. And then in Exodus 3 and 4, he goes and speaks to God in the burning bush. In Exodus 3, Exodus 4, the Lord comes to Moses and says, Go tell my Pharaoh to let my people go. We go through 12, not 12. Where did I get 12 one of these other numbers? All right. We get 10 plagues in Egypt. After each plague, Pharaoh's heart would be softened and then God would harden his heart. God says, I will harden his heart that he will not let the people go. Because i got to kill this man and his armies. And then, of course... Goes to the ten plagues, and the last plague is what we would call the Passover. And at the Passover, that's where the Lord said, Put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of your house, and every house that has the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over that house, and I won't kill the firstborn in that house. Otherwise, all the firstborns die. All the firstborns of Egypt died. Pharaoh's firstborn died. All the rest of the firstborns, the firstborn of the cattle, the firstborn of the sheep, all died. Without the blood over the doorposts. And when I see the blood, God sprinkles our hearts with his blood. That's figurative sprinkling. And that's what this is about. Then they go out here into the wilderness. They cross the, they cross the Red Sea in the 14th chapter of Exodus. God gets Pharaoh's armies down in the bottom of the Red Sea and the Bible says in the 14th chapter of Exodus God pulled the wheels off of the chariots. He says now you drive against my people. you think they had a chance. It was Moses standing over there at the side and saying just as come on Pharaoh. Come on drive hard. No. God sent Pharaoh to hell is where he put him. Then Israel comes back Israel comes back to the land that was given to Abraham in that 17th chapter this was about 2100 BC we don't know exactly approximately 2100 BC when they come into the land they leave Egypt somewhere in the neighborhood all these guys don't have the exact time so if they, if they left, if they, if Abraham was given the covenant around 2100, it was around 1447, 48, where they leave Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and they come back in and possess the land. And they're under two governments when they possess the land. First thing, they they come into the land, and Joshua leads them into the land, because God forbids Moses for coming in, because he had given some instructions in the wilderness to strike a rock, not to strike a rock, to speak to a rock. And Moses was so mad at the people, he hit it twice. God said, just for that, you don't get to go into the land. And Joshua will take us into the land, and he will divide up the land to the respective 12 tribes. And he divides the land up. Simeon, second born. Reuben, first born. Judah, the fourth born. Benjamin, the twelfth. Ephraim, second born of, of Joseph. Manasseh, Manasseh dan gad and if you'll notice i keep saying levi is not in there and levi is not in there because the levites the third born of jacob was the priesthood and they lived all over israel so they don't own any land therefore they received the tenth or the tithe in order to exist on and they had to be given some land by the various land owners And that land, God said, the land is mine. You cannot give it away to anybody. You can't sell it. So he kept his... uh, Gave the tithe. Read all about that in the book of Numbers. Gives the tithe to the priesthood, to the Levites. Is the tithe still in effect? Absolutely. That's the only way that we have of paying the bills for the ministry. We have about takes about $37,000 a month to run this ministry. To pay the salaries of five people. To pay about $12,000 a month just on TV. And then we give away everything free of charge. We can't do that. I do not have a money tree in my backyard. Now, so where was I? All right. They come into the land. And they're ruled by judges. You got two situations with them. They're ruled by judges. I got a list of the judges here. Uh, starts with Othniel. Actually, I believe the first judge was Joshua. Uh, starts with Joshua. Goes on down through all these. I'll put I'll put the judges on the board for you. Okay. If you have a copy of the McClinic and Strong. You can look at the J volume and give you a list of the judges. Here they are. They're ruled by judges. The judge was was God's man, and they would go to the judge and he would tell them what they had to do. And you had Othniel. Now, Othniel was the nephew of Caleb. Caleb and Joshua were the only two men when they were coming out of here. When they, See Kadesh there? When they camped at Kadesh after they left Mount Sinai down here. Mount Sinai is where they got the law there in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. And when they come up here to Kadesh, the Lord told them to go into the land and to spy out this land of the Anakims, Anak. The land of Anak, and those were giants, and they said, we can't go in there and do that uh, because they're too big. And all of the soldiers from 20 years old and upward, God says, that was their draft age in Israel. You had to be 20 to be serving in the army. So he says, everybody that's 20 years older and older except Joshua and Caleb, you're going to have to wander through the wilderness for 40 years. You were spying out the land for 40 days a year for a day, you got to wander through the land until I kill off all the unbelievers in Israel. So when they're at Kadesh, if you're above 20 other than, other than Joshua and Caleb, if you're over 20 or 20 or over, you had to die in the wilderness. There wasn't many people. The oldest other than Joshua and Caleb of the people that came in the land would have been 40 years in the wilderness plus 19 years old would be 59 years old. That's as old as the oldest men were when they came across the Jordan River right above the Dead Sea to take possession of the land. And it was Joshua that laid this thing out in the book of Joshua and told everybody, here's your land. He's the guy that did it. And he led them against all of their armies, Uh, led them against uh, Jericho and Ai and slaughtered the people. Now here's the, here are the judges. Here they are. This is how they were ruled. This is how they ruled. They were ruled by Othniel. And then you had after Othniel, you had Ehud. Ehud is an interesting man. The Jews said left-handed men were evil. And Ehud was evil. <laughs> no, he wasn't evil. He was left-handed. So God sends him a left-handed man to fight their battles. And Ehud delivers them. And then uh, he killed Sisera. And then you had uh, Shamgar.
1: Or Agon. And then you had uh, Deborah. Deborah, and they said they didn't want a
0: woman ruling them. God says, I'll send you one. Deborah, and they had Barack, not Obama, but Barack. (laughs) Barack, Gideon. Gideon was a dirt farmer. (laughs) I think he's funny he was out there bailing hay one day and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said "Thou mighty man of valor he said who me <laughs> just a farmer Gideon Gideon put all the Philistines to flight Gideon was a of the tribe of Manasseh and he didn't ask for any of the other guys to go with him he didn't ask for his brother Ephraim's army to go with him And they said, why did not you get us to go with you? He said, I didn't need you. I just took 300 men and I conquered the Midianites. Then you had Gideon. And then you had Ahimelech. Ahimelech.
1: Ahimelech.
0: Ahimelech was the son of Gideon. It was Ahimelech. When he got into battle, somebody wounded him. He said, somebody kill me. This is a woman that wounded me. I don't want it to go down and be said that I was killed by a woman. Somebody run me through. (laughs) I can't handle this, being killed by a woman. Amalek was kind of a clown to have a father like Gideon, a wonderful father like Gideon. And then you had Tola and Jair. You don't have much about these guys. Tola, Jair... But they were godly men that God picked to rule Israel. Then you had Jephthah, one of my favorite judges. Jephthah was a son of a harlot. He was considered a bastard. They said, we don't want a bastard ruling us. Run him out of town. Then the enemy starts attacking him. And somebody says, go get the only man that can deliver us. Go get Jephthah. Now, go get Jephthah, and he comes back and delivers Israel.
1: After Jephthah came Erzon, and then you had, after this, Elon, and then you had the
0: 13th judge, Samson. He killed more people in his death than in his lifetime. It was Samson that killed 30 Philistines one day before dinner. He took a jawbone of an ass and killed a thousand. It wasn't because he was stronger than everybody else. It was that he was keeping his vow to God. But here's the whole point. This is how Ezra was ruled. And then I believe Samuel. You get in the books of the kings where we are. And Samuel is the prophet in Israel he's God's prophet and he would be called a judge and then we've been we've been talking about this book of 1 Samuel Samuel is born there in in the second chapter his mother is Hannah and Hannah was barren she didn't have any children and she had a And her husband was Elkanah.
1: And Elkanah, he had two wives. He had Hannah and
0: Peninnah. I guess that's the way you spell it, something like that. Peninnah, and Peninnah had many children. And Hannah cried out to God and said, Give me a son and I'll give him back to you. She didn't say, I want a son or I'm praying for a son. She said, if you will give me one, I'll make him your servant. I'll take him to the high priest, and she conceived and bare one of the greatest men that ever lived, Samuel, and his mother was Hannah. She took him in the second chapter took him to to Eli. Eli was the high priest of Israel. he had two sons, and his two sons. Well, Hophni, nah, I'll get it right in a minute.
1: Yeah, Hophni and Phineas, And Phineas, and they were very evil sons.
0: And God, and they were not obedient to God. And God reprimanded Eli for the way he raised them, said, you never have made him behave. So God says, I'm going to have the enemy, the Philistines come against you. And I have them, I'm going to have them capture the Ark of the Covenant. We Ark of the Ark, Without the Ark of the Covenant, Israel has no hope. The Ark of the Covenant was God's throne in Israel. And he would come down out of that cloud, that fire, and sit upon that throne and rule Israel. And the inner sanctuary of that temple was called, the inner sanctuary was called the House of God that was equivalent to us christ is the son of his own house whose house are we hebrews 3 and 6 so he would come down and rule israel from here and he had this ark taken away by the philistines then you find that immediately after that in that fifth chapter that god would bring all these curses upon the philistines he brought the emirates hemorrhoids were a deadly disease of some kind people try to call them hemorrhoids but that not that wasn't what it was it was killing the the philistines they said get that ark back over there to the get the ark back over there to israel we can't handle that their god kept falling down and his arms kept falling off their god was dagon and they stuck the ark of god in the house of dagon god says i won't have that They said, get that out of here. And so they put the ark on a new cart. But you're not even going to notice what that's about unless you read the book of Exodus and Leviticus. Exodus says all of the vessels of the house of the Lord had to be carried, not on a cart. They had to be carried on poles. The ark of the covenant had these rings in the side of it. And the Kohathites which were some of the Levites, they had to carry it on poles. So when you get over the 6th chapter of Second Samuel, and you see David shouting and praising God because the ark is coming back to Israel. And while it's coming back, they bring it back on this new cart. And the priest knew it didn't belong on a cart. And it started to fall. And one of the priests, name was Uzzah, and he saw the ark about to fall, and Uzzah reached out to grab the ark to stop it from falling. God struck him dead on the spot. He was a priest. He was against God's law to touch the ark of the covenant. David said, "What did you do? Kill him?" And he, God said, "Don't you talk to me." He knew what was wrong, and he touched the ark of the covenant. Anyway, back over here in back over in First Samuel. When you get to the 8th chapter, the people say, give us a king. We want a king. And Samuel said, God is your king. Yeah, but we want a king with an army that's got spears and bows and arrows. But your God has has earthquakes and fire from heaven and floods and famine and locusts. and, And you want spears and bows and arrows? He said, okay, I'll get you a king. So he went out and got a king from the tribe of Benjamin. Wrong tribe. But you know who picked out the king? God. He picked out Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. got to keep reminding yourself, back over here in Genesis 49th chapter, the king has to come from the tribe of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, and all the people will gather to Judah. And Jesus was of the line of Judah, and David was of the tribe of Judah. And Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. So when the Bible says that God, after Saul acts up, thirteen through fifteenth chapter, God says, I've had my fill of you. You don't do anything right. And he was the tallest man in Israel. But does tall make you right? Don't think so. No. Some tall men they may think they're better than the rest, but they're not. We got a real tall guy that comes here uh, Tony. He's six foot seven. And I told Tony one day, I said, and Tony's a gentle, gentle soul, I said, you always accept because you're height and you're very imposing. He's got this. Tremendous body, and he was going to go in the NFL, but he had a lot of problems with his breathing and had asthma. And I said, People always accept you, haven't they? He said, he said, You know me, don't you? I said, Yeah, you're a very imposing figure. When you walk in, here you are, six foot seven, you're built like a V. I said, People accept you, call you what you look like. He said, They always did. But he's real gentle, real quiet, kind of backward to a point, just Comes up to me and hugs me. And says, "Hey, Jim. He's just real gentle and tender-hearted." But a lot of times, tall people are not that way. They think they are what people accept them for. That's why, when, when, when the Lord tells, he tells Samuel, "Go down to the house of Jesse." In the sixteenth chapter of First Samuel, I've chosen me a king among his sons, and he goes down to Jesse's house. Just as if there's a king among my sons, it has to be my son alive. He's the tallest man in my household, one of the tallest men in Israel. God says, I don't need a tall man. I had one. He didn't do right. now that was Saul. You can see how tall he was over there in the ninth chapter of 1 Samuel. He was a goodly man when he started, but he started messing up. Now, we've been going through Saul's life. He was gentle when he started but he ends up not executing God's wrath against Amalek just messing up royally so God appoints David King and we've been going through this if you can get a hold of this timeline I'm giving you, you can understand most of what the Bible is about I'll give you these timelines once in a while, you need them you know I haven't really skipped, I've skipped a lot of details i haven't skipped anything to speak of i've told you generally what the what the old testament's about and everything in the old testament is about all the prophets all the prophets are about the time period that is was under the rule of judges i'm gonna race these judges it's all about Israel going back, going after Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech and Isis and Osiris and all the gods of the people around him. And Israel goes after all these gods. And God destroys them, scatters them all over the earth. But we're not into that yet. You don't really get into all these other gods of Israel's so the first kings. First and Second Samuel
1: is about Israel becoming a kingdom, and their kingdom under Saul
0: and David they put down the bell in the grove at the beginning of first Samuel, I believe it's the seventh chapter, and then they're not going after Bell and the Grove through first and Second Samuel first and second samuel i call the books of saul and david particularly first samuel is the the book of saul and david saul and david and second samuel is the book of david it starts off with david being king among the people and when you get to the end of end of second samuel you get the end of second samuel it's time for david to die and then, when you get into 1 Kings, Solomon, David is right on his deathbed. Solomon is the, his place as king when his brother is trying to usurp his authority. That's Adonijah. Notice Adonijah. Adonai is the Lord. Jah is short for Jehovah. The Lord Jehovah is what his name means. They would put those names together like that. Now, we're talking about First Samuel and Samuel says you want a king I'll give you a king he picks out God picks out Saul that's why God had to repent it means to turn from making Saul the king because he was of the wrong tribe the king has to come out of Judah so in God repents Himself. It don't mean God found a Baptist church and walked down there. I said, "I want to repent for making Saul king." I just repented my ways. Repent means to turn. So he turned from making Saul king, makes David king in that 16th chapter. Then David goes out and kills Goliath. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. In the 17th chapter, in the 18th chapter, David's problems begin. In the 16th chapter. An evil spirit from the Lord entered Saul, from from God. Enters Saul, and he starts getting angry because David is getting attention or something along that line. Doesn't like the idea that David's been anointed to be king. And the word gets out, and everybody hears about it. Saul goes down there. That's not Saul. Samuel goes down to the house of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. And he anoints David at the at the end of the about the mid part of the 16th chapter, goes out after Goliath in the 17th chapter, brings brings Goliath to the ground, cuts his head off, and knocks him out with a stone. He didn't kill him with the stone; he knocked him out. Took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. Now that'll kill you, <laughs> and that killed him. Then he comes into town. And Saul is acting like he don't know David. He said, "Who is this young boy that killed Goliath?" He had tried to put his own armor on him in the middle of that 17th chapter. In the 16th chapter, you get asked for David to come and play his music before him and soothe that evil spirit from God that entered him. It's just amazing, and he's acting like he don't know him at the end of this when. Abner, his commanding general, brings him in to introduce him to he's going to introduce him to uh, Saul, King Saul. But David is the king in God's eyes at that point. So they come in, and all and the women start singing this song. It becomes popular throughout the land. It's a number one on the it parade. Everybody knows about it. Saul hath killed his thousands and David his ten thousands and Saul is livid. He's attributed to David ten thousand to me thousands? I won't have this and Saul starts planning to kill David. And then Jonathan knows that Jonathan is, loves David with all his heart. He knows David is going to be king. He submits to David. He turns all of his apparel over to him, takes his coat off and says, you're going to be king. Here's my sword, whatever you want. I'm going to follow David and protect him. And that's what Jonathan does. Jonathan was a good man. Jonathan over there in that... When Saul was hiding in the 14th chapter, Saul was hiding... While the Philistines were... They had thousands of men. Saul had 3,000. He was hiding in caves from them. While he was hiding, his son Jonathan, in that 14th chapter, they're hiding in what's called the caves of... or the rocks of Micmash And Jonathan tells... Jonathan is a believer. He is behind David, and he tells his armor bearer, man, you're going to stay here, and if these Philistines tell us to come up, and they reach down to pull us up, we're going to kill everybody that's up there, me and you. Boy, that's a lot of confidence, isn't it? The armor bearer was always the best fighter That to stand beside the leader. So he took his armor bearer, they pulled him up, and they killed 20 Philistines up there, just the two of them. Well no doubt that Jonathan said, we can do that because the promise of God is with us. So they get over there in the eighteenth chapter. This is where we've been. 18th chapter, Saul pulls out his javelin, I'm not talking about a car, pulls out his javelin. Now he's supposed to be good with the with the spear. And he throws it at David, and David steps out of the way, and David Well, first of all, Saul makes him head of his bodyguard. And Saul says, I'm gonna get rid of him. I don't put him out there against the Philistines. I'll have a I'll tell him, I'll give you Merab my, my oldest daughter, my beautiful daughter, if you will bring me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. I keep saying the reason he asked for a hundred foreskins, he didn't mean to circumcise them. He meant cut off their genitals. That way, not one of them could ever raise up an army against me. Go out there and get me a hundred foreskins. He said, surely the Philistines will kill David. He's getting so jealous of David, he can't stand it. He just can't stand it. And David goes out. Here's the amazing thing. We're talking about in the 18th chapter... In the seventeenth chapter, is where he killed Goliath with a sling and a sword. In the sixteenth chapter, he's just a shepherd boy. We're not talking about months or years later. We're talking about days later, just a few days. Why wasn't he in the army over here in the sixteenth chapter instead of being a shepherd boy? because he wasn't old enough to be in the army. Remember, he had to be 20 years old to be in the army. He was probably 17, very wiry, very fast, exceptional with the sling. Those young shepherd boys, they were dangerous with a sling. Alexander the Great had entire company of men with slings. And he went out against Goliath, said, I can hit him right between the eyes. It wasn't like David was this skinny little boy. Like you see pictures, he's going, God, I hope you make my stone hit him in the right place. <laughs> oh no, He was looking at him. The Bible says he ran towards Goliath as fast as he could run, and, and it hit him right between the eyes. He said, I can hit there, right there, every time. Brought him down, cut his head off. The women are shouting praises of David. And David, in the 19th chapter, Saul says, I'm going to kill him. He's already told Jonathan, I'm not going to kill David. And then he'll turn around and say, let's go kill him. He could never make up his mind what he wanted. Then David starts running for his life from the 19th chapter, chapter 19 to chapter 31. David is fleeing the hand of Saul. The first place David goes is to to Nob, which is where the priests are, and he goes there and finds Ahimelech. Let's go back over here. Let's go back over to the twenty-third chapter of First Samuel. All right. What I'm talking about is about envy. It's about God promising something. And you and I are trying to go against the promise of God. God promised David that he would be king. He rejected Saul. Samuel told Saul, your day is over as king of Israel. You're not going to be king anymore. No more king. Saul's out. David's in. And everyone knew that David had been anointed by Samuel to be the king in the 16th chapter. Everybody knew it. Even Saul knew it. But he's going to fight the will of God. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. God hath from the beginning, the Bible says. He's declared the end from the beginning. Everything that's not yet done, everything that's going on is the will of God in your life. If we could learn to accept that, Saul didn't want to accept that. He knew that Samuel said, you're out, David's in. And he starts off in the 19th chapter, actually the 18th chapter, and starts trying to kill David all the way through the book. And yet Saul was a believer. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul in the 10th and the 12th chapter. It was the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord doesn't come upon a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction, does it? Never. Besides that, Samuel anointed Saul. Samuel said he's the anointed of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. Does the Spirit of the Lord come upon vessels of wrath that are fitted to destruction? No. Saul... Tried to chase David and tried to kill him every day of his life. Finally, at the end of the book, Saul goes to the witch of Endor. Says, I've got to find out what's an answer. He's going to go to Mount Gilboa and fight the Philistines. This is the last chapter, Mount Gilboa. He's going to fight the Philistines there and he goes to the witch of Endor that's the 31st chapter. And the 30th chapter, 29th chapter, he's trying to secure this witch of Endor. I'm quite sure, without a doubt, that we get the word Endora, which was Sam's mother on Bewitched. Get the word Endora from that. She was the witch on on bewitched he gets to the witch of endor and tells of course what he says he tells the witch of endor i want you to conjure up samuel for me now samuel's been dead for two years at this point samuel dies in the first chapter of first samuel first verse that's where he dies this is two years later and Saul is about to go against the Philistines and in just a super army. And he goes to the witch of Endor and says, I want you to conjure up Samuel. She can't do that. He's dead. So God says, I'll bring him up to you. God brings up Samuel to Saul. Samuel says, Saul, now why would God bring up a spirit of a man to a vessel of wrath he wouldn't and Samuel says to Saul you are my I love you, brother that's in essence is what he's saying but tomorrow God's going to deliver you into the hands of the Philistines and you and your sons one of them is Jonathan you're going to die in that battle and you're going to be with me now wherever Samuel was is where, the, where, he, where Saul's going to go to And Saul goes into the battle against the Philistines in that last chapter and he falls upon his sword. Now, the Bible says he dies there. But you get into the first chapter of 2 Samuel and a young man comes to David and he says, Aha, I killed your enemy. I killed Saul. Well, I thought he fell upon his sword. Well, he did. But he tells this young man, I'm... Plunge through with my sword. You need to drive me through and kill me. And David turns and says, You mean you didn't think anything about killing the Lord's anointed Saul? David said, I wouldn't do that. You didn't feel any compunction about that whatsoever? He turned to two young men and says, Fall upon him and kill him. And they did. And this young man died. We don't know anything else about him. Now, Saul was, he was a picture of just how wicked a believer can be. (laughs) Believers can be pretty wicked. Now, let's go back to where we were. Go back to 1 Samuel, 23rd chapter. This is where we ended up last week. Didn't mean to spend all this time... But I wanted you to see how this whole thing is laid out. Everything that Israel went through, while they were a nation, the scattering, all the bad Baal and Grove worship begins in First Kings. Particularly the 11th chapter where Solomon allows all of his foreign women, foreign wives, 700 wives and 300 concubines, to go after their Ashtaroth, their Shemash, their Molech, their gods. That's a really amazing thing because that was Solomon. Then the 16th chapter of Second Kings, that's where that's where Ahab marries Jezebel. Marries Jezebel. She's the daughter of Ethbel, means with Baal, Ethbel. and he's the prince of Tyre, and he brings in this Baal in the grove in the 16th chapter of First Kings. The 11th chapter, Solomon allows his wives. Those are Here's a believer that's fallen off the wagon, and here's Ahab's a believer too. He don't act like one. It's We'll cover him as we go through these history of Israel. But Solomon, we know, was a believer. What's so amazing to me is in 1 Kings 11th chapter, he's allowing his wife to have these gods, and in the ninth chapter, he's just finishing building the temple just a little bit before that. Why do people do what they do? I don't know. Why does America do what it does? People will say, I'm a Christian. I believe God and all this. and uh, But I hate predestination. I hate Christmas. is pagan. And I hate all this doctrine that you preach, Jim Brown. Well, that's going to be your problem with God at the judgment. I'm going to believe God. I don't care if everybody in the world votes against me. I'm really tired of all these lies going on in America, in the pulpits of America, and the Baptists are lying, the Pentecostals are lying, the tongue speakers, the charismatics. It, there's no sinner's prayer for salvation. We know that God heareth not sinners. If it man be a worshiper of God, doeth his will, him he heareth. you got to be worshiping God, doing the will of God, to even pray to God. You can't pray while you're dead in your sin. You don't even want to pray. It's like walking up, somebody say, do you want to be saved? They say, well, no, not really. Well, if you'll just pray this prayer to Jupiter, he'll save you. Well, I don't want to pray to him. Why would you want to pray to a God you don't believe in? Well, yeah, but the Bible says, Whosoever shall call from the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him and whom they've not believed? You can't call on a God you don't believe in. That sinner's prayer stuff the Baptist preachers is wrong. Billy Graham preached that it, It's wrong. What's the method of salvation? Believe. Believe is the verb, faith is the noun. Believe is the word, believe is the word pisteuo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Faith is the word P-I-S-T-I-S. That's the stem, stem, verb, noun. Faith, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But believe is a verb, it's what you do. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. You have to be doing truth. If you believe something, do you, when you multiply two times two, do you still get four? Or do you get 22? Huh? Have you changed it? If you believe it, you do it, don't you? you believe that red light? You better stop. you won't get a ticket. Certainly you believe in it. And the ones that run the red light, you still believe in it. You just think you're going to get by with it. It's kind of like sin, you know. All right Now we're over here in First Samuel. How much time do I have, Mike? How long? Oh, good. Maybe I can get somewhere with this. All right. Now I I like that twenty-second chapter. Saul David goes to uh, goes to the uh, high priest Ahimelech. He was a descendant of Aaron, the original high priest, the older brother of Moses. He goes to Ahimelech, And, of course, there's a man traveling with Saul. He's not an Israelite. You remember who he is? He's an evil, wicked, godless man. Huh? Doeg. This man here has no conscience. doeg and doeg is around when ahimelech receives david in that in that 22nd chapter and ahimelech gives david some of the bread that's showbread and they change that every week showbread gives david the showbread cuz he's hungry doeg is there in the presence of ahimelech and david You think he's going to tell Saul? Oh, you bet your life he's going to. So Saul comes in later after David flees. And Saul says, you helped David, Ahimelech. Didn't you? He said, I gave him something to eat. And you gave him Goliath's sword. Ahimelech is a priest of God. He's not going
1: to turn David down. So Himelech says
0: to his men in his army. Kill these priests. Boy, Saul is going to be a murderer. And his own men say, we cannot do that. We will not kill the priests of God in Israel. Doeg said, I'll kill him." He steps forward and slaughters 85 of the priests of israel 85 priests righteous men Saul always a murderer he's trying to kill david he's willing to kill for his throne He's willing to go against the sovereign will of God that David will be king. Are you willing to go against the sovereign will of God so you can have what you want, so you can distribute fortunes to yourself? The word demon, demonion, D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N, means to distribute fortunes. Saul is wanting to distribute fortunes. He is envious. He says, I don't care what God says. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I don't. I had somebody tell me the other day. That a guy that says i think it was one of you guys either you or you one of you said i don't care what god says about predestination i don't believe that which one of y'all told me that one of y'all told me that was you that was Derek. i don't care what it says that was his grandparents i don't care what it says i don't believe that predestination well you'll go to hell too And Saul is saying, I don't care that God anointed David through Samuel to be king of Israel. I'm the king. I want what I want. Have you ever wanted what you wanted against the will of God and fought his sovereign will? Wherever you are is where you're supposed to be. You're not saying, well, they got what I think I deserve. No, no, you deserve less than you've got. You don't deserve anything. Well, they kill Ahimelech. And 85 priests of God. And one priest escapes. Who was that?
1: One escapes. Does anybody remember? Huh? Abiathar.
0: Abiathar is wishy-washy. Saul is the man that killed his father Ahimelech. The father of Abiathar is Ahimelech. And later on, uh, Abiathar joins Saul. Gosh, what is wrong with these people? You reckon the same thing that's wrong with America? You reckon maybe? America's crazy. It's nuts. I don't believe in America. America is... If you believe in America, what do you believe in? Amber waves of grain, mountains... Lofty Mountains High, or you believe in the ground, or you believe in the deer out west, or out here in the woods? Or you believe in the bear over in East Tennessee? Or what is it? Or the politicians? Or the Baptist preachers? Is that what you believe in? Or you believe in the, the Pentecostal charismatic liars? Is it Kenneth Copeland you believe in? I don't believe in America. I don't believe a man can organize a a I don't believe he can organize a government on the earth that's righteous, period. I've said it before. Capitalism and demon have the exact same meaning. You take this book right here. Take a Webster's Dictionary look up capitalism. It will tell you to distribute the fortunes
1: Of railroads, factories and plants, factories to the individual. The word demon is the word demonion, it means to distribute fortunes.
0: there's not anything more evil than capitalism that gives a man opportunity to cheat, lie, and steal in America start his own company and do whatever it takes to get to the top there's nothing Christian about that and democracy started in the garden democracy means the government of the people by the people and for the people and if you will let people vote, they will vote for self every time. They'll vote for the candidate who will promise them the most and make them believe it. And none of them are ever going to follow through. This nation is going to go down. Well, What kind of government did they have A Garden? They had a government of Adam, by Eve, and for the devil. For the serpent. Democracy started in the garden. So did capitalism. Eve looked at the tree, saw a tree that was good for food. Good for food. She saw a tree that was pleasant to
1: the eye, to eye,
0: and to make her wise. These are the three things, the fortunes of the world First John 2.16, all that's in the world, here's all that's in the world, everything in the world, all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life, same thing, lust of the flesh, good for food, it would fulfill her flesh, lust of the eye, pleasant to the eye remember the word idolatry e-i-d-o-l-o-l-a-t-r-e-i-a idolatry comes from ido and latruo it means to serve what you see serve latruo what you put into your eyes what you see and that calls a man to lust the word lust epithumia means to long for that which is forbidden or to cover your life with thumas, breathing hard after. I want that car. I want that woman. I want what I want. And that's what Saul was saying. I want the kingdom. I don't care what God says. We've got a twisted understanding of principles in America. We don't go by this book. We don't go over the fact that God says in everything, give thanks. It's all you've got is a bicycle. That's all you're supposed to have. If all you have is an old beat-up jalopy, that's what you're supposed to have. I've had jalopies in my life. I had a 49 Chevrolet. Drove to high school. Had holes in the floorboard. It was rusted all around the bottom. And I thought, how will I ever get through school with this? And it was a... A real dog. Drove it for years. Didn't, couldn't even afford a
1: new car till I was in my 40s.
0: Now, so, Doeg kills all these people. In the 23rd chapter, David is still running away from Saul. Saul can't get it out of his mind that David is king and God's going to protect David. Verse 1, chapter 23. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing. For therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. So David goes and delivers Keilah. Verse 9. David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him, And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. The ephod was the breastplate that he would put on. And when they had on the ephod, they could inquire of God. And if the king was righteous, he would hear them. So, in verse 12, Then said David, Will the men of Kelah deliver me and my men unto the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you after you save them. Then David and his men, which were about 600. He's grown from 400 to 600. Remember, here he is. He's got 600 men. And God is delivering him from the hands of Saul with thousands of men. And Saul has got the best in his army chasing David. He's got a real bunch of killers there after David. Remember, when he's got 600 men, when you get to Second Samuel, you get to the 31st chapter, God moves upon Samuel to number Israel. It's God that does it because David in the 30th chapter has taken credit for, for winning all of his battles. And he's got a million eight hundred thousand men in his army at this point. And God is saying you have forgot who delivered you when you had six hundred and four hundred. And David is taking credit. So God says I'm going to give you a choice of three things. I'll either send your enemies against you for three months. David, Nine. Well I said God caused David to number Israel. So David numbered them, and David in his pride numbered them, and God caused him to do that. And God says, now I'm going to send judgments on you. Let me show you that at the end of 2 Samuel 31. So God sends a prophet to to David and says, all right, David, don't try to explain why God sent, God put it on David's heart to number Israel. He was proud. And David is is at the end of his life. Don't think you've arrived at maturity just because you're old. And David was old here. He's getting old. It was the Lord that moved upon him to number Israel in verse 1 of chapter 31. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And God moved against David, against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. And it says in chapter thirty three he's got a million eight hundred thousand men. And he's taking credit for all of his victories when God said when you had four hundred and six hundred, it was me that delivered you. Huh?
1: That's second Samuel. Second Samuel.
0: Huh? I'm thinking of first Samuel. <laughs> Second Samuel twenty four. Yeah. I'm getting so many things in my mind. I'll say I'll be thinking one thing and saying another. So he said, "Go number Israel and Judah." So David goes and numbers Israel and Judah, and then God gets angry at him for doing it. Figure that out. It's kind of like the Lord says, "I'm going to send Babylon down against you, Israel, to to crush you and to carry you into captivity." And then some years later, he says, okay, Babylon, because you crushed my people, I'm going to destroy you. Try to figure that out. You can't figure it out. God can do what he wants to do. Our God sits in the heaven. He's done whatsoever he hath pleased. Then he sends Gad, the prophet, to David and tells him. So Gad came to David and told him, verse 13, chapter 24. Gad came to David and said to David, here's, you've got a choice of three things that I'm going to do. Now, you pick one, whichever one you want, okay? Seven years of famine will come unto thee in the land. Would you like that, David? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies? You want to do that. I'm going to turn you over to them. And they're going to slaughter you. Or. Or that there be three days of pestilence. And that will come from me. And you'll die by the hordes. Now which one of these three. uh, Boxes do you want? Box number one. Box number two. Box number three. This is not. The quiz show. Now advise and see what answer I will return to him that sent me. This is the prophet. David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Boy, I guess so. Do you want to die this way, this way, or this way? Let us fall into the hand of the Lord with his pestilence. For his mercies are great. Let me not fall into the hand of man. And the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. From the morning even to the time appointed and there died of the people from Dan, the northernmost part of Israel, to Beersheba, the southernmost city, seventy thousand men because of David's pride. Wow. What can pride get you into? Get you and he's he's an old man here, we go on to the next chapter and you're in 1 Kings and it's time for Saul to send the throne and David's very sick and he's going to die and when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it because of David's pride these are 70,000 innocent people that God is going to charge David for his pride the Lord repented him God turned himself from the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, that's enough, I've killed enough people. That's God. That's not David. That's not even David's will. If God does this to your life, expect it. The Lord doeth what seemeth good to him there in that third chapter of First Samuel. What seemeth him good. He does what he pleases to do. It's enough. Stay your hand, death angel. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aronah the Jebusite. And David goes to Aronah and says, give me your threshing floor. I want to offer a sacrifice to God for my sin. And Aronah said, no, no, I'll just give it to you, David. David said, No. He said, Here's these are David's word verse twenty four and the king said unto Aranaugh, Nay, I will surely buy the field of thee at a price, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. Are you looking for a free ride? There are none. You have to pay your way, following the Lord cost a lot, it cost your life. it cost a daily cross. It cost money, and I don't even preach about money cost a lot to run a ministry. So David bought the threshing floor and oxen for fifty shekels of silver, and David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land, and the plague was stayed from Israel, and God killed 70,000 people. People say, God won't make anybody sick. He'll kill you. That's a permanent sickness, isn't it? Now, let's go back to where we were. Back to that 23rd chapter. David goes and delivers these people of Keilah. Then verse 19, then came up the Zephites to Saul to give you saying, David is hiding himself in the strongholds in the wood in the hill of Hekeli. And now therefore, o king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down and conquer David. So Saul said, blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. He didn't have compassion on God. This is Saul. Go, I pray you, verse 22, chapter 23. Go, I pray you, prepare yet and know and see his place where his haunt is, where he walks, his foot walking, regal, R-E-G-E-L is the word haunt. And who hath seen him there? For it is told me that he dealeth very subtly. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where David could be hiding himself. He's in cahoots with these with, with these Ziphites. It says, find out where he could be hiding. Saul's going to get him cornered in a box canyon. Looks like there's no way out. And there's not, except for God. Have you ever been in a box canyon and you thought there's no way out? And it never turned out as bad as you thought. See, therefore, verse 23, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hideth himself, and come ye again to me with a certainty, and I will go with you, and it shall come to pass if he be in the land, I will search him out throughout all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon. It's a desert in Judea. Judea is the hills outside of Jerusalem. In the plain on the south of Jehemon, and Saul also and his men went to seek David, and they told David, therefore he came down into the rock and a boat in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on his side of the mountain, and David and his men on the side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David. They surrounded him. No way out. You think? And his men round about to take David and his small group. Enter the sovereignty of God. But there came a messenger to Saul saying, Hurry, hurry and come. The Philistines have invaded the land. And Saul is going, oh, I want to get David, but I've got to go get the Philistines. And he's got to leave. You see, God's in charge of your life. He's not going to let David die. God had the Philistines attack. Wherefore, Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, they call that place Selahama and David went up from thence and dwelt in a stronghold at En Gedi. And then we get into, do I have any time, Mike? Ah. Chapter 24, David's going to trap Saul. He's going to have him in his hand. He could kill him, but he said he is the Lord of the Lord. We're not going to kill him. If God wants him dead, God will kill him. If God wants your enemies dead, he'll deal with your enemies. It's not up to you to do it. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Vengeance. Ek dikesis. E-K. D-I-K-E-S-I-S. Comes from ek meaning out, and d-K meaning to write things out. I'll write things. No, you won't. God will write whatever he wants to write out. He'll get your enemies in his time, but you got to be dedicated to him for him to take care of your enemies. If you're out here running with the enemy, he's not going to take care of your enemies. We get in our heads. I need to take revenge on the people that are messing my life up. No, you don't. You should never get angry at him. You should never should get mad at him. Are oh, we to ever get angry? Only one time in the Bible. Be angry at the winds of doctrine that make the church apathetic and put them on a vain search there in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Be angry at these preachers that lie. People get mad at me because I'm angry. What's funny? They get mad at me for getting angry at the preachers for lying to the church. They're angry at me for being angry at the preachers when I'm commanded to be angry at the preachers, and so are you. But if you don't know enough about the Bible, how are you going to know they're lying? We're going to get into next week. I hope you'll take these things to heart. God set up David as king. Not David didn't set himself as king. David said, I'm a little flea. Why are you after me, Saul? I'm just a nobody. I'm a nothing. I love the story of Saul and David because it's a picture of the inner and the outer man the outer man won't do right and the inner man can't do wrong well I'm out of time I'm not out of time I don't guess but if you look at 25 and 1 Samuel dies right there that's long before Saul goes to the witch of Endor Samuel's dead in 25 and 1 I want to tell y'all about this 24th chapter we'll wait till next week okay let's go to the Lord in prayer Father thank you for truth Lord cause us to be thankful for all that happens in our lives knowing it's of you cause the believers to quit arguing with you by getting mad at their neighbor or their friends or their family or their brothers and sisters cause us to be patient with one another you said we need to forbear to put up with each other's peculiarities cause to do that help the church
1: to be strengthened to be strong and we'll
0: praise you for everything help me personally Lord I'm just a private prayer Lord help me to be content in everything and I hope the church can learn that No matter what happens, whatever bad comes along, that's your will. We'll give you praise for everything. Fight
1: our battles. Let us your elect. In Christ's name, amen.
0: Well, did we learn anything? That's a thousand that's about a thousand facts, I think.